Welcome to What's Happening Now. We are finally here, the first episode of the new platform and podcast produced by myself, Sam Hampson, and renowned journalist, <laughs> as I've been calling you every chance I can get, James O'Malley. Yeah, we're here. They're eagerly awaited by probably mostly our, our parents. Yep. Well, you haven't met my dad, just my mum. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, and this week for the first episode, we are joined by comedian Dora Flowers. Dora, how are you? Hello, I'm very well this morning. Thank you very much for having me. All this afternoon, depending on when people listen. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, we've got to meet Evening. the customer where they're at, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so stay well is my message. You have to look after yourself for the sake of the listener. Um, so what's happening now is, James, can you explain what's happening now to me? So what, what's happening now, I, I believe the idea is we're going to talk about the news. We're going to talk about what's happening now. And we've got a comedy guest to make it palatable. We don't want to hear me bore on about politics. Nobody needs that. We, we had this big idea of two middle-aged white guys going, we should start a podcast about the news. That would be fun. And then uh, we needed some way to make it socially acceptable. So, Dora? Oh, I've got a woman in. <laughs> Get Amazing. a woman in. You're our token woman this week. Amazing. No, 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 no token. You're an actual woman. Uh, <laughs> an actual woman. And we're, we're very happy to have you here. But yeah, every week we're going to be talking about the headlines, big and small, things that we think need a bit more attention, things that need a different kind of look, mm. um, working with people who we think are amazing, Dora. Well, that's amazing because I barely watch the news. Okay. So let's so see how this goes. <laughs> this is a real journey for us all. Um, and we start off this week with what's happening now. <laughs> What's happening now? Well, it's been a year since we lost a leading light of our great nation. A woman who towered above all others. A beacon for the hopes and dreams of our people who represented the best of us in the face of overwhelming odds. Lizzie, our leader and our shining crown jewel. And no, wait, turn that off. We're talking about Liz Truss. Member of Parliament for whoever the fuck will have her, and former Lib Dem, former Remainer, and former nemesis of imported cheese. We import two thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. In that 2014 speech, Liz set out her stall as the nemesis of imported cheese. In her mere 44 days as Prime Minister in 2022, however, she established herself instead the enemy of homeowners, the enemy of good old-fashioned common sense, and bizarrely, the enemy of one slowly decaying iceberg lettuce. It probably says something about her performance, that collectively, we were largely rooting for the lettuce. Not as a joke, but because the lettuce genuinely seemed like a better option as a communicator and administrator. And yet now, well... Look carefully and you'll find pundits, politicians and people all over the place saying more confidently three big words. Liz was right. People who might have a point or might be trying to make an argument about ideas but are so desperate to avoid being on the losing team they are trying to rewrite history and make you think that noble Liz was foiled by people that you too should make your enemy. Guys, don't do this. The cowboy in this particular face-off wasn't beaten by a better opponent. They shot themselves in the foot, and then the other foot, and then their horse, and then the economy. 
it's one thing to say, hey, you know what, we have a problem with growth, or I think the civil service could be better. But leading with Liz, putting her front and centre as if she was perfect but cheated, it's insulting to people whose suffering can be measured in pounds and pence because of her arrogance. It's sad if she's really the best you've got, and frankly, it will only encourage her. This week, it was announced that her book, 10 Years to Save the West, will be released next year. It may be her first book, but it's a sequel to six weeks of Tanking the Pound. So guys, will you be buying Liz's book? I've got too many things on my to-read pile already, I think. That's the reason. Yeah, that's definitely my excuse. Okay, Dora? I I, I doubt I'll be buying Liz Truss's book. I mean, I, I mainly just reread books I've already read. Okay. Uh, Again, you're both being very polite about why you, like, you, you look at me in the studio, which we don't get on audio, of, of a mild panic of, no, I'm absolutely not going to read it. But I want to sound clever and literary, but at the same time, I know there's no way I'm going to read this book. <laughs> and, yeah. and the I, clever and literary thing would be in, yeah, I'm definitely going to read Liz's book. That's a... Yeah, I'm going to be at the midnight launch. I'm going to be cosplaying. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, as a teenager, I, uh, I bought Harry Potter's book. Of, not Harry Potter's book. He wasn't the author. I know that much. But I queued at midnight and, and mm. dressed up as, as Harry Potter, which was very easy. I think I was a grown-up when I queued up to get the Harry Potter <laughs> book. I was still there doing it. Did you, um, did you stay up all night reading it? And, uh... No. My little brother, who was far brighter than I was, did. And so I used to wake up the next morning, like a mere four hours later, and he would have read all of it and be bursting to tell me oh. everything. And I don't know, I'd have to go to Butlins for the weekend to get away from him or something. That's, that's quite a big move. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to get to Butlins. <laughs> oh, no, it's Saturday again. Off I go to Butlins. Off I go. Fair enough. I think, I think with the Liz Trussberg, though, I don't... There's part of me that wants to read it just to understand. Like, I want to try to understand... How somebody could have gotten into power and gotten out of power so quickly. Like, yeah. James, as the uh, mm. journalist of this show, and you're the, the intellectual backbone here, can you explain <laughs> very quickly what Liz's book is going to say? Uh, I imagine she's going to try and justify the, the sort of disastrous uh, uh, premiership. Um, this talk of uh, how she's basically unrepentant. I think she was blaming, uh, you know, the, the, the establishment, the, the, the woke left or something like that. What was the, the phrase she used? The left woke wing? Karate. The, the, wo- the blob, the, no, the, the, the forces of... Evil or something, oh, something I very grand. Is it the oh, avocado should... eating woke karate? I don't know. It was very it's insulting. Just, this is just an insult to generate But didn't she? She used in her first speech. It was it was or the first Telegraph interview. She used something which was entirely predictable, and I'm sure will take a form of this book of how everyone else is to blame but herself. How it mm. was, it was... Oh, that was it. So, sorry. Go on. She, she blamed the global left. The global left. Yeah. Oh. You know, all, what it was, it wasn't, it wasn't her crazy ideas, or it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the markets, the bankers who were, you know, no, notable left-wingers, the bankers, who uh, panicked when they saw her budget. It, it was, was a bunch of hippies. It was all, it was all, it was all those hippies um, <laughs> and, and, and the charity workers and, and, and the people in the public sector. The thing is, like, there is a, a conversation to have about her ideas, right? And, mm. and I do have sympathy with maybe some of what they were putting forward was valid and and right and kind of you can make an argument going this was worth a try if someone's in power 
they can pursue the things they want to pursue. I think, and this is a very controversial opinion, I think, she was right about one thing, which is we need to grow the economy. And she made, remember the whole anti-growth coalition thing? Anti-growth coalition, that's the phrase I was looking Uh, for. Thank Um, you, we got there in the end. So she made a big thing about how the economy needs to grow. And she's right, it does. Our our economy has been basically flatlining uh, since the financial crisis. Wage growth hasn't improved at all. Uh, The numbers are just terrible. And it does make us all sort of poorer in the long run. The problem is her solution and all of her ideas were actually terrible and made it worse. Right. It's like a chef saying, I'm going to make dinner and then get all the right ingredients and throwing them all at the wall Mm. um, and saying, (laughs) ta-da. It's like... You know, you're kind of right. I can agree with you. I wouldn't the, even I, say it's about the ingredients. It's more of the chef saying, I'm hungry, and therefore I'm going to... I don't know. <laughs> Do some... just the chef just trailing off and yeah. standing there in the kitchen. <laughs> starts headbutting the oven. Yeah, no, that is um, that was her approach to home ownership. Um, well, good luck to her. The plucky young upstart, Liz Truss. Uh, it's been a year. Mm. May she keep living her life in full confidence. Well, the good, the good news is... Sorry, we're going to... So the good news is we're going to see her now every every few months now. Every time there's a big like national event, the cenotaph, a royal thing, she's going to be there just, just sat in the background and we're all going to go, oh, yeah, remember her. That's going to be the next 60 years now. At what point, maybe it's two books, maybe it's two books that she'll be then known as the author, Liz Truss, rather than the former Prime Minister, Liz Truss, mm. because it's only 44 days, right? So <laughs> it takes longer to write a book. We should give her credit where it's due. And if you're going to sit down and write a book, mm. be known as that. The author, Liz Truss. The author, Liz Truss. No, the, can... the author, not awful. The just awful. To be very clear. <laughs> the author, the awful author, the awful Liz, author Truss. Liz Truss. Imagine if she does end up being just, I don't know, the world's next popular book writer. The next Nadine Dorries. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> You're a very lucky woman, Dora. So, that is what's happening now. So, guys, what else is happening in the world this is a section of the show where we talk about the stories that we think deserve more attention the things that have caught our eye this week uh and really grabbed us and dora as our esteemed guest i will let you kick things off thank you very much um so my story this week is that uh, nitrous oxide aka laughing gas um is going to be made a class c drug by the government by the end of the year apparently goodness which will may which will mean um, it is it's currently illegal to supply it, but it will also be illegal to possess it. Um, and this is mainly done because of the concerns of the multitude of sixteen to twenty four year olds just laughing their asses off in alleyways. They're, think, they're concerned, are they? The sixteen twenty four yeah, year yeah. olds. Sat again. This is a disgrace. <laughs> I think it's the uh, that we're cons- the concern is that there is a growing number of sixteen to twenty four year olds um, using this um, when for laughter when really laughter. they should just be coming to our gigs. That's and laughing it's at more, which all is, of our gigs. Which is more expensive? I have no idea how much a canister of laughing gas will be. Uh, I wouldn't either. <laughs> we're looking Sam. around this table. <laughs> our, our average age is like what thirty eight. I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm the most boring man alive. I've never even smoked a cigarette, which is why never. it's sort of. No, I've never even smoked a cigarette. Like, which... Have you accidentally walked through a cloud of smoke and gone? Hmm, that's not for me. Possibly. I'm not. I, I've definitely been at a few gigs and thought, oh, that, that's a that's a funny Ooh. smell. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's about as far as I'm I've got. Not sure but, if I like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but this this is what the moment when you talk about nitrous oxide, you were saying that the kids take this. God, I, sound, I sound so old already. <laughs> the kids. By, by blowing up balloons. 
So they Dorian fill the balloon. There's, a, there's, there's some kind of canister that looks like a mini fire extinguisher. I'm mm. so hip. And <laughs> you attach some kind of little silver bulb to it, and that's got the nitrous oxide in it. It blows up the balloons, and then they kind of suck the air out of the balloon, blow it back in, suck it in, blow it out, suck it in, blow it out, until they're, they're laughing. So when just the police turn up, is it like, do they go, it's not what it looks like, it's a children's party. It's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they just start making elephants out of the balloons and stuff, ta-da, and then everyone's laughing, so they do believe it's a party. Um, I think the thing for me is I don't, I, I just, I hear it more than I see it. So I hear the balloons being blown up hmm. um, at, I don't know, music gigs or the library, wherever you are. And, uh, and, and but then I never really hear any laughter afterwards. I don't know yeah. if I'm... Watching, or not watching, not watching them take drugs. I'm not not sure if I'm um, um, observing the right thing. But, uh, and there's just lots and lots and lots of the metal canisters, surely, even in your Mm. non-smoking world, you've seen the little metal canisters just scattered Mm. everywhere. Well, this is the interesting thing. So I remember one bit of uh, speculation that was saying that basically the the drug itself, obviously it's bad that people are taking drugs and so on, um, but it's not... As harms go, the worst sort of drug, and it's not that bad. Not that many people die from it, and I'm, I'm sure it's still bad for various reasons. But basically, it seems to, the argument is that the government have arguably banned this because of because of they don't like the little canisters. They basically yeah, uh, made, so. made, made the drug uh, more illegal to stop littering, is which it? seems like a strange application. I think it's also a parent just getting in, you know, the stamping their authority again uh, as a kind of well, we can we can tell people what to do a little bit. We're allowed to do that, and because this is seemingly quite an easy one to get rid of, mm. really. I mean, I wonder, are we going to run out of nitrous oxide? Do we need it for things? <laughs> I know helium apparently a, was resource. once on the decline, mm. and we needed to be careful about helium, but we didn't care about is that, that. Is that true? That feels like a... I feel like it's not true, no. but I feel like the person who told me is trustworthy. Okay. The um, world is running out of helium feels like a, a rumour that we should start. We should start that. <laughs> I don't know, again, whether it's a rumour or not, but I think that uh, it's... You can only find it from one source. Essentially, there's one mm. place you can get it from. And and it's like, I don't mean it's like under one rock in Argentina or something, but there, there's only one place you can get helium from. So we will know if we're running out of it. We will know. James, fact check. Yeah, no, I, I, I have heard, back in the recesses of my mind, I've heard this about helium as well. And I remember getting very concerned for a few days after someone told me this. But then I completely forgot about it until okay. now. So maybe, not, yeah. maybe it's still a problem, but maybe maybe, I, you know, Guys, maybe you, we should be worrying more. You know, we set up what's happening now. We're doing a podcast. We're doing experts are writing for us. We're doing videos. We're doing lots of things. But the whole premise was that we were going to add value. We were going to add insight. <laughs> What's happening now is that we are explaining how to take laughing gas to each yep. other as a group of people who don't know how it works and now just making up rumours about helium. Well, this is, this is homework for the listener. They can now go on go on Google and, and figure it out for themselves. You know, <laughs> we're going to make, the, make the audience work. That's, that's the recipe for a successful podcast is make them do the work. Um, I think it's rather a bold thing. The one thing I will say about this, this form of drug taking is uh, I, I watch kids, again, I don't watch kids doing sure. it, but uh, I'm, I'm present when kids are doing it like on the bus or in the street and that's just so bold they're just boldly doing it in my adult way i'm like is that allowed should they be allowed to be doing that must i stop them could i stop them could you if i try i don't know i could maybe what's the biggest crime you could prevent oh um 
I don't really know. We're, God, this goodness. Is, we're, this is not a room of crime fighters, is it? I'm looking around the table. I don't feel I feel like we could. Oh, I, I mean, I, I, could stop, I, I could stop myself from committing crimes, I suppose. I, I, I don't know if I could persuade anybody else so you, <laughs> to stop doing crimes. Your heroism stretches just about to you. Just about to me. I can just about maybe, unless I didn't know something was a crime, which is how they're going to get me. Yeah. I'm not going to know the law. I'm going to break it. And then be like, oh, officer, I wasn't sure. I'm so sorry. Yeah, fair. And then we're like, that's not allowed. Sorry. Well, no nitrous oxide for this group of people at the very least. No, so. it scares me. To be honest, I, I'm, I'm convinced that if that happens, a dentist will take my teeth out. Well, that's, that's the legal punishment, is it? No, it's just, I'm pretty is. sure. And again, could be completely wrong. Um, I got a feeling, isn't it what they use when you're going to like have a baby or when you're getting your teeth taken out? Oh, is to it... knock you out? Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah, possibly. I feel, I feel like we need an anaesthetist in the, in the room to fact check this. Damn it, I knew yeah. we were going to book yeah. an anaesthetist. Really you've, got, think you've got the I comedian, should... you've got the journalist. We, yeah. need, we need the anaesthetist. That's, yeah. like, that's, the, third, that's the, third, you know, the third leg of this. Maybe next week. Uh, if you're an anaesthetist and you're listening, would you like to join us for our next episode, yes. which I believe is on transport, so <laughs> probably doesn't make as much sense, but never mind. Um, James, what about you? What's mm. grabbed your attention this week? Yeah, also a drug story. Um, oh, is- we have a druggy team, a table of drug obsessives. Yeah. And, and this is really interesting because obviously politically, uh, when politicians talk about drugs, there's only really one way politicians can go, which is we hate drugs, we want to ban them, lock everyone up uh, and, and be really tough on drugs. But Publicly at least. Public, yeah. Well, yeah, public at least. Who knows what, what basically seemingly every Tory cabinet minister does um, Who in knows? their youth? Who knows? Yeah, so, but this story is really interesting. So in Glasgow, they're, um, they're, they're currently working on opening what they're calling a drug consumption room uh, in Glasgow Ooh. city centre. And the idea is this is for people who are sort of, I guess, addicted to fairly serious serious drugs. And the idea is that if you can bring uh, drug users to a place where they can take their drugs uh, more safely, so they're not using uh, dirty needles and so on, it basically ultimately helps save lives because people aren't uh, stuck in these really sort of squalid circumstances, doing all sorts of dodgy things to take Mm. the drugs. Obviously, it's a controversial thing because people are still taking drugs. But ultimately, I think a lot of the expert consensus is this sort of approach is often much more effective at reducing uh, drug deaths and the danger from drugs. But yeah, it's interesting because someone's actually trying it despite the politics of drugs being so sort of geared towards um, authoritarianism. How does that fit legally? How does that fit with... You know, is there a difference mm. with English policy or is this something that could spread? Yeah, so my understanding is that the the, 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 uh, the plan centre, which has been sort of uh, announced, and it's, it's this, the Scottish government who are sort of promoting it, mm-hmm. um, it, my understanding is it still needs to be signed off by, I think, Glasgow Council and various health authorities and then the British government as well. They could step in, they could apply the, the I think it's the Misuse of Drugs Act uh, from like the 1970s um, to stop it and there's some debate about whether they will or not. But I, th- I think, you know, it's probably worth trying to see to see if this approach can actually work because um you know if people if drugs aren't uh, criminalized in that same way if, if using drugs um don't you know if, if people can take drugs and save their lives they're not going to sort of enter the criminal justice system if they seek support right maybe that mm. could actually help people seek support you said i can this. see the next louis Farouche show being all about this he's going <laughs> to get addicted to drugs just laughing gas. Just laughing it's, gas, uh, yes. A, a, a consumption centre in Glasgow where everyone goes just to inhale balloons. Uh, so we're all going to go to Scotland now just for the drugs. Amazing. Uh, and my story this week, uh, well, I've, I've, uh, I have a triple, no, I have a double threat for you guys. Uh, two stories in one. Uh, they are largely unrelated but happen in the same place and they both caught my attention. 
One, uh, is in Mexico, the two candidates for next year's presidential election have been decided. Both women. I was expecting a woo there. Like, neither of you are feminists. Both okay. of them. Both of them are women. Um, and the thing that's significant about this, it will mean that the three branches of Mexican government are all going to be led by women. Um, oh. The judiciary and... Is one of them Liz Truss? She, she, she's busy writing a book. Okay. Uh, if it only wasn't for all of the many people in the world against her, I'm sure she would have been running Mexico by now as well. Um, well, yeah, the Supreme Court is led uh, by a woman. And both the upper and lower houses of Congress are led by women as well. So this is a, a feminist takeover of Mexico. How do you feel about that? I mean, I don't know a super amount about Mexico's politics, but... Generally, this sounds like a good move. Is this the first time they've had women in power? Or Don't know, Dora. Mexico... Uh, maybe I should have done my research, but I was just uh, taking it by the headline. I went, that's cool. Mexico, that's the one below America. No, I'm joking. That is... I, know where, I know where Mexico is. How are they doing with that wall? <laughs> I don't think they were the ones building it. <laughs> They're not, are they? They're going to stop that immediately. But what's great about this, James, I, mm. I think you might love this, is one of the candidates that's the conservative candidate has been previously an engineer and tech entrepreneur. Before, oh. because, before being elected mayor. <clears throat> and the other candidate, the left-wing candidate, is a physicist who has published two books about sustainable development and renewable energy. That's very cool. Why, I mean, it's very out of keeping. I mean, as a British person, I sort of expected you to say, well, one of them was a special advisor for another politician. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and then uh, was the, a politician and then carried on being a politician. And the other one was also a special advisor for a politician. Yeah. You, do you know what? It's weird to hear there are other routes to uh, to competent government. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a, I, I don't know enough about it to know who's good or who's bad. They both might be terrible, uh, but they're both women. So that's good. Well, at least they'll be terrible in a, in a sort of progressive way. Though we'll be, we'll be able to go, yeah, right on, sister, like we did with, like we, like we did with Liz Truss. Is, is that patronising? Is that, that helpful? That, that did sound a bit. That did sound very patronising when I said that. I'm, a physicist yeah. and a tech entrepreneur and James and Ali sat there going, <laughs> right on, sister, you as, do uh, you. As a, as a male feminist, I, I approve of, um, of of what they're doing. Okay, talking of cheering people oh. on, the other story that I found this week was also from Mexico, which is why I've paired them up in a very loose fashion, um, which was. 11,000 runners were disqualified from the Mexico Marathon. How? <laughs> what for, Sam? What for? For apparently not running it properly. Um, not not checking in at all the points. Of, of Did largely, they not wear like a robot outfit? or uh, They might have done, but they costume. took a taxi while they were doing it. Some of them, oh, it sounds like. No. <laughs> there was, apparently it's a prestigious marathon that gives points towards the international competition. Okay, a, a I was going to say, what is, the, what is the benefit of cheating? Yeah, they, they, uh, they get better times and do better, but 11,000. 11,000. It's amazing, isn't it? I, the, yeah, they've, they've they disqualified all, them. Were they all in cahoots, do we think? Like one big WhatsApp it group? It was just one big group of people took a shortcut through the woods. Um, no, I, I think they were separate. It was if There isn't a story about how well coordinated that group of 11,000 people is that I've found. Uh, but the tracking data showed that they did not complete the distance. They didn't check in every point. Um, some of them missed different points. But yeah, there are rumours going around of transportation and shortcuts and... Little scooters, maybe some rollerblades. Yeah, but you know what? I just—I wonder how many of them just missed checkpoints and are now devastated that one of the their biggest kind of personal achievements in life they haven't even got a little medal for it or yeah. wherever it is you get. Imagine if there was actually least. only eleven thousand runners entered and it was mm. just a faulty system. <laughs> <laughs> 
they're like, we're very They all went this. the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the one sign was to blame. Um, but well done, Mexico. That's uh, some interesting news to the world this week. Um, let's hope the government are more competent and less full of cheating than the marathon. Finally, we go to what's happening in schools. Uh, September is here. Back to school, back to work, back to lots of things. Uh, the new school year has, has come around. And here at What's Happening Now, we invited Bookie Yusuf, a teacher and educator, leading light of the education community, to write a piece for us, which we can find in our newsletter. James, you spoke to Bucky mm. about that piece. Yeah, it was a really interesting read. So she basically uh, went through all of the, uh, several of the major things that she's been facing and her colleagues have been facing as they've been going back into the classroom. So um, there's basically teachers are under more pressure than ever in terms of sort of the intensity of the work they've got to do. Uh, there's budget pressures, as you might imagine. And just in terms of the sheer things that teachers have sort of burdened themselves with, uh, she called them the fourth emergency service is how teachers are sort of themselves now uh, because of the sort of what they're having to pick up in terms of sort of looking after kids uh, in terms of supporting them uh, providing mental health support uh, providing food in some cases this sort of blew mm-hmm. my mind mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that you know kids are coming to school hungry so teachers are now bringing in food to, to help feed their cl- their classes um, well let's listen yeah. to what Bucky has to say on that yeah, so for example, there will be there will be educators, there'll be schools who will tell you, you know, for example, families are struggling to feed their children. You know, mm. they're you know, they're struggling to provide uniform. So there are an increased number of young, uh, schools where they provide uniform and it might be, you know, for example, lost properties or, you know, like for example, items that they can actually allow parents who are in dire straits to actually use and things like that. In terms of food, you know, I, I read before the summer and during the summer about teachers who provide food to students because they can see they're visibly hungry, you know, mm. and and I think as well with the, you know, like the free school meals categories, there's obviously, a, you know, there's obviously a category of who that means will get receive meals and things like that. But there are young people, many young people and families who are missed off that. And mm. so, you know, the reality is, as we knew before the pandemic, when it hits, when, when winter hits, it's the choice of eating or heating. That's more pronounced now. So, James, she's talking a lot about all the issues that are faced there. And there's an overwhelming amount of things that are being faced in schools and, and, and having people like Bucky is, is an emergency service in itself. Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that she can still approach things with a relatively <laughs> optimistic approach, despite all the challenging, is really good because teaching has a really big uh, recruitment crisis at the moment. There, are, there aren't enough teachers. Uh, and so the fact that Bucky and, and, and people like her are staying in the profession, I mean, that's a really good thing of its own accord. Otherwise, things would be even worse. I know, for example, uh, supply teachers as well. That's something people don't talk about very often. We're massively lacking in supply teachers. Essentially, during the pandemic, everyone who's working supply thought, oh, sod this, mm. because <laughs> it's a thankless task and it was even more difficult and they weren't getting the work. And lots of uh, supply teachers uh, retrained and went into other things. So now, yeah, there's just there's not enough teachers. And I've heard stories of schools which have had to sort of talk about emergency plans uh, mm. to sort of merge classes and even send kids home because they just don't have the teachers to teach them. Uh, it's huge, right? In London, mm. I suppose London it's more pronounced, but there's two things combined in here there's a recruitment problem where there's not not enough people being recruited but retention is hard because partly funding uh, wage increases has to come out of the school's budget 
um, there has to be a, an element of natural shedding. Those teachers have to move on as, as they progress in their careers and it's hard to retain that. Mm. I think also, especially in London, schools find it hard because as you're, you're talking, as the, as the teachers want to progress professionally, um, there's not enough positions for them, but also they want to do things like buy houses. Mm. So right. uh, they want to stay in their profession and they want to buy a house and those two things combined means they leave London. Yeah, for um, sure. So they often they often don't don't stick around in the London schools that well, need them so much. Bucky talked uh, about what was needed. You asked a question to Bucky, and we'll play that clip now. Is there any sort of uh, policy things that you think the government should be doing? If you could sort of sit down with uh, the education <laughs> minister, whoever that is this week, and and sort of say, here's what we need. What what do you think you would say? More funding. <laughs> Next More funding. question. <laughs> No, it, on a serious note, more funding. More funding mm. will actually mean, obviously, about the fact that we've got more staff who, you know, who can actually help um, to support, you know, to provide support. Before the pandemic increases, increasingly so, when you have staff who leave, they aren't always being replaced. So it basically means the staff who are left, they're, mm. you know, it might be their timetables increase or the young, number of young people, if they're teaching assistants, the number of young people they're supporting increases. These are things that, you know, happened before the pandemic and continue to, continue to do so. So I am serious. I know I was jesting about more funding. An increase in school budgets and college budgets would make a massive difference in a meaningful one. And I know there's lots of conversations. I don't tend to get involved in politics. Where there's a will, there's a way. And if, if, they, if we need to have meaningful changes, an increase in school funds would, in terms of budgets, school budgets would help. So James, mm. um, Bucky sounded there both jokingly and serious that she thought more funding was needed for schools. How easy do you think that will be? This is ultimately the the big political problem, and it's going to be a big problem for when uh, Labour win the next election, as they probably will do. In that, uh, unlike when t- t- Tony Blair came in in 1997, and there was money to spend, he could throw money at schools and uh, really improve schools, and had this big ha- uh, school building program, which is <laughs> why not all of the schools have fallen down. There were some schools that were rebuilt and repurposed at the time. Um, this time around, we're coming in a very different sort of macroeconomic environment where there is no money to spend. Uh, so I don't know how easy it's going to be to <laughs> simply throw more money at the schools. That's going to be a significant do, challenge. Do you think this is, is different, though, to some other areas of spending that politically there could be benefits to saying, do you know what we're going to spend on mm. schools? There's people with kids. There are, everyone's been to school, right? Everyone mm. has an experience with the education system. They can see where that money goes in life. Is it going to be easier for, for Labour to say, we're going to rebuild schools that are crumbling from concrete? We're going to invest mm. in having enough teachers? Or is it still impossible? I definitely think it's an easier political sell than, you know, <laughs> funding the foreign office or even sort of buying tanks for Ukraine because people, like you say, people can feel schools as a tangible thing. So I do think that there's a weird fiction in politics at the moment where sort of both parties are pretending that there's these sort of spending rules they're going to stick to, uh, but everyone sort of knows. And in Westminster, I think it's a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Everyone really knows after the next election, whoever's in power is going to have to raise taxes a bit <laughs> to pay for more spending so I, I won't be surprised if uh, yeah we do end up uh, you know with taxes increasing and more money being put you know well into, into everything but I think schools is going to be a, a sort of key sort of area so Sam I'm really curious you're a governor of a school uh, in South London how does Bucky's experience map onto yours do you, uh, do you see a lot of what she's saying in your school oh it's hard right I'm not a teacher so Bucky's experience is far more far more hands-on 
Um, and I think that's a really important thing for us to remember as governors that we, we get snapshots. We don't get that day-to-day version. Mm. Um, and every school is different. Mine, the one that I'm involved in is, is amazing, full of incredible teachers, genuinely brilliant, brilliant people. There are challenges. And you hear this at every school in a different way. Uh, I think nationally, attendance is, is under a lot of scrutiny and behavior. Both of those, understandably, and they're really hard to change. Attendance is something that has taken a hit since the pandemic has has been hard to 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 get back on track. And I think the target is something like ninety ninety odd percent. Is that the, mm. you go okay? That's pretty high. We'll settle with that. It's stubborn. We've got somebody, who, a, a member of staff, who spends time going to the houses of students to try and get them in. Um, and it's it's not bad kids. It's not always problems people who don't want to come to school sometimes it's difficult home life sometimes it's parenting sometimes it's it's different sorts of disruption Mm. um and that's the thing right i think there are going to be different challenges in different areas some of it's post-pandemic some of it Mm. is 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 even a few years on the ripples are still there there's kids in school now who had a massive part of their education disrupted um Mm. and you only get one chance right so things roll on Mm. What I would say is, if anyone listens to this, it was even half interested, is be a governor. Be a school governor. Um, go to your local school, offer your time. Um, I can't contribute everything to that school, but I can contribute a little bit here and there. And, and the more people are involved, the more people helping and supporting is definitely a good thing. Mm. What do you think is the most surprising thing that you learned when becoming a governor? Because obviously everyone listening will remember being at school. Uh, but for a lot of us, that will be a long time ago now. Schools will have changed uh, in that time. So what's the most perhaps underappreciated thing or the most surprising thing to people outside of the education system about what's going on in schools and the challenges that they face? Yeah, I've been involved for about five years now and seeing how much is put on schools and teachers to go solve society's problems here, mm. whether it's figure out gang problems in London, whether it's figure out behaviour and, and attendance at home. Um, one of the things that's really surprised me, I think, the most is is reading literacy and, and the ability and the, the engagement with reading. There's people who come to secondary school mm. without really a recognisable reading level who come out of primary school failing to be assessed properly. And that's not necessarily primary school's fault. There's a lot of problems there as well, a lot of burden and, and things take time. But people coming in at 11, barely able to read. Um, there's a few mute students in our school. Um, and that's a mainstream school. There are increasing, and Bucky talks about this as well, about complex educational needs. Um, SEN and, 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 and different problems that are coming in and the variety and the challenges that are in mainstream schools and that teachers have to deal with, that surprised me. Mm. How much is there? Let's listen to Bucky on that. So, James, we've heard from Bucky today. We've heard snippets mm. as we've been talking. Where can we read her piece? How can we hear more? So if you want to read Bucky's piece, it's really good. Uh, it's really it's, it's short to the point and you'll feel cleverer having read it. It's a big um, promise. You can, go, you can go and read our newsletter um, on our website at whatshappening.news. Um, and yeah, we're going to put out a newsletter every week. So so like and subscribe, as as the kids say. Like and subscribe, you guys. Uh, yeah, jo- join the mailing list. And every week, we'll we'll send something to your inbox, which will hopefully you know dig into an issue and, and make you make you that a little bit smarter. And that's what we're going to be doing every week. At What's happening now? We're going to be carrying this podcast. James is going to curate some amazing people contributing to topics, and over time, we're going to get some really. Uh, I'm not going to give away the surprises, James. But we've got some really <laughs> fun plans. We've got some comedians going to do some fun fun things. 
yeah, it's going to be fun, but there's going to be some there's going, there's going to be some learning. It's going to be fun learning, guys. That's if, the best sort of fun. Why did we not put that in the trailer? Dora, you went to a non-mainstream school. I did indeed. Um, I went to, and this was in the 90s. So I was a teenager throughout the 90s, like you me, got all the best music. Yeah. Uh, and I went to a boarding school um, that catered specifically for people with as we called it then, special needs. Okay. It was a special school. Right. That's what we called it. Um, and it was a great school. Um, it wasn't very large. It, it didn't have any people in. But boy, was there a wide range of people with uh, di- differing needs in. When did you first become aware that your experience was different to the mainstream and to other people's? Um, I think it was when all the sofas were covered with plastic sheeting. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, when all the signs were pictures instead of words. Um, <laughs> the clues were there. Yeah, all, all those things. Uh, um, I think it was. I think it was actually a bit of a relief because I was in mainstream schooling to begin with in primary school. Then I, the last year I went to a special needs school for the last year, and then again we tried me back in mainstream for one year, and then I went to special needs school for the rest of my education to university. Um, and I think the kind of the, the main differences were. I don't think it was that their expectations of us were less. There was still the same level of expectations. But when we didn't meet those expectations, people weren't as bothered. Yeah. And I don't mean in a negative way. I just think there wasn't so much of a, if you're at a C, we must get you to an A. There was a, if you're at a C, you're at a C, and a C is fine if that's what you want. Sure. And you, it's... If I, it feels interesting that you, you're using the words special needs and special yeah. school here, right? Yeah. Society's language has changed on that. Society has, indeed. Has, has, has moved on, moved sideways, whatever way you want to put it. People don't talk about it. This is your experience. Yeah. And you talk about this in your comedy. You talk about this on stage. I do. How yes. do audiences respond? How do you think people feel talking about or listening to other experiences? Uh, it's It's an interesting one because I think... I think if I didn't make the point of saying it up front, if I didn't make the point of saying, you know, back in the day we were, we called it special needs and we were all very competitive about how special we were. Uh, And if I don't kind of put that in, I think you would run the risk of people thinking you were being quite bigoted, which, um, you know, I hope I wouldn't come across as. Um, But also, you know, in comedy, it's your story. I'm, I'm telling the truth about what I said. And so whilst many of the stories do contain... Um, words like special needs or or talking about our experiences. Um, I think I, I hopefully managed to put it in a way that demonstrates that um, it's not, you know, being critical of people in these days. So thank you very much, James. Thank you very much, Dora. It's thank been lovely you. to have you on this week. Uh, what are you up to for the rest of the week? Got a lot of, lot of gigs coming up, busy woman. Yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of gigs. I uh, I didn't have many booked in because I was moving house, which is impossible, uh, which I think we can also credit to Liz Trust somehow. <laughs> what a wonderful woman she is, the impact she's made on our world. And then hopefully stand in a room and make people laugh. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thank you, Dora Flowers. You've been listening to What's Happening Now with me, Sam Hampson. And me, James O'Malley. Find more at www.whatshappening.news on social media at WHN Online. 
Thanks to Dora Flowers for joining us this week and Bucket User for writing and speaking to us about her experience in education. <laughs>